So as we get together today, um, it was mentioned by Carol, she let the cat out of the bag. Today's a money day, but it's not the money day that you're expecting, and it's probably not the money day that you've heard before, because this is the money day that everybody takes their finger and they point it at somebody else. But then what we're trying to figure out is today, is this discussion that James has in the fifth chapter for that other person, or is there something here for me? I'm just convinced that if God went to the effort, the trouble, some would say, to place something in the Word of God, which is handed down from generation to generation to generation, we should pour over as much hot water over that and drip out every ounce that we can to say, you know, what is here for me? What can I take away? And as we get started, and now that kids are set and they've got their stuff, I just want to ask everybody, old and young, <clears throat> who loves the doctor? If you're married to a doctor, it doesn't count. Don't answer this one. But who just loves, loves, loves the doctor? Good. This sets me up. I love the doctor so much. And I'm not married to a doctor. I'm married to a school teacher. But I love the doctor so much that every time I go, my blood pressure rises. It goes crazy. It's not fun. It's not happy. It's so bad, in fact, that when I go to the, when I go to the doctor, I have them do my blood pressure at the beginning when they're doing the vital signs. Let's talk about those vital signs for a second. Does anybody, when you're waiting for the doctor, kids, if your parents tell you not to do this, then don't do it. But this is what I do. <clears throat> you tend to go to the doctor and you have to wait. How long? Ten minutes for them to get into the room? You show up on time or you show up early, and then they don't. But they're seeing other people, and hopefully they're helping them get healthier. But I sit in the room, and I wonder, I wonder what that does. And I wonder what that thing does. It's not enough for me to look at the picture of all the organs and the body systems and look at the cat picture over in the corner or flip through the nine-year-old highlights magazine. I want to know, does <clears throat> the little spur thing that you run back and forth to see if you're sensitive, I want to see if that thing feels at 48 years old how, the way it feel, how I remember it feeling when I was 10 years old. Do you ever do that? Just pick it up and play with the stuff? Your parents tell you not to do it. Don't do it. Because it's interesting, if you take the little red rubber hammer and you beat on your own leg, you have no reflexes. But if somebody else does it, your foot just shoots straight across the room. It's the craziest thing. You see it coming, you know what's happening, and all of a sudden, pow, there you go. I've got a reflex. What are they checking? And maybe it's that I'm older than everybody else here, it looks like today, except for about 10 people. But kids, there was a day when they would put the blood pressure cuff on you, and the person, the PA or the nurse, would squeeze that little bulb. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. And it would get to a certain place, and then they could check your blood pressure, and they would find out. But now that everything's automated and everything's got an app, <clears throat> they strap this thing on and push a button. And it squeezes your arm half off. Does anybody feel like everything from your, from your elbow down is just going to die and fall off your arm by the time they finish? It never stops. I'm thinking, two more pumps and I'm out of here. If you finish that thing just right, it's bad. So my blood pressure is telling on me. I'm frustrated that the cuff is too tight. I don't know what's going on. I've already got heart issues in my mid-40s. I had to have that dealt with by the guys at Asheville Cardiology. And thankfully, they did a great job. But I've learned, Doc, I want you to do something for me. Before I know, you're going to take my blood pressure. But just to prove to you that I'm not near death... What I want you to do is when we're finished and you've given me all the good news and the bad news, I want you to go ahead and take my blood pressure again so you just know I'm halfway normal. And he always or she always will test it. And they'll say, sure enough, you're a lot healthier than we thought you were. And I said, you just make me so nervous when I come here. You make me nervous because I come into the doctor and I say, these are my presenting symptoms. These are the things that I'm feeling. I've got a runny nose or I've got a cough or my leg just, there's something wrong from when I fell off the scaffolding working on my house. I just don't know. And I'm like, my problem's in my leg. Why are you checking on my heart? My problem's in my leg. Why are you checking on, breathe in, breathe out. Why are you checking all that stuff? But you see, they went to school to help me be totally whole and healthy. They're not satisfied just to help me with what I think is wrong. They want to help me be truly healthy all the way through. 
Sometimes when we go to the Word of God, we need heart checkups. We need a chance to come to the Word thinking we need one other thing. And then God says, you know what? At the core of it all, you think you need this, but I've got something else for you. I've got a thing that I want to share with you. And today, as much as you may not want to hear it, yeah, we're talking about money. And the good news is, I'm not here to tell you a single thing about yourself. Today, I get to help you discover something that's going on inside your heart to give you a chance to talk to the Lord about what the Lord would like to tell you. And he's going to ask you some questions through the text today, through the scriptures, to say, God, where do I stand? Where is my heart health when it comes to money? Now, if you don't know where James chapter 5 is or you didn't bring a Bible with you today, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. It's on page 852 and 853. Yep, 852 and 853. You can go ahead and go there, and I'm going to read in just a second. But I'll tell you. One more time, and I'm trying to say this as nice and happy as I can. I was praying on my way in today, Lord, just help me smile as I talk about this topic because people are going to frown at me. They're not going to enjoy this unless you do a work that only you can do. So I'm not going to tell you anything bad about you. I'm going to let God show what's going on. And if you've got James chapter 5 in your Bible or on uh, your app with the Bible app and you're looking at Fellowship Asheville events, then we're going to read James chapter 5 together. And it goes like this. James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It gets better, I promise, okay? Your riches have rotted and your... Well, it doesn't get better here. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who, move, who mowed your fields, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud... They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in luxury on the earth and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person so much that he doesn't even resist you. Now, look, James opens heart here. I mean, this is tough. He says, come now, you rich. He's coming after us loud and strong. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why would he call people out so directly? Some people look at the Bible and they just want a nice, happy book that tells us nice, happy promises that if we'll just walk this way, God will do this. The good news is what God wants to say is it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. It's about what's in your mind, it's about what's in your heart that I want to work with. And he says, look, I want to speak to you directly. And as a pastor, as a preacher who shared before, if you're guest with us today, uh, our pastoral team uh, is occupied in other places today. Fred is out gallivanting all over Europe. How cool is that, that they were able to be blessed with that trip and to be able to enjoy it? If you haven't looked at his Facebook, you really should. And if you really want a great sermon, come back when Fred's preaching next. But this week it got me, all right? But as we look at this and we see this text, when we preach, sometimes we realize people aren't always paying attention. Now, maybe you're not like me, but sometimes we get easily distracted and we need people to be direct with us for that way. Anybody in the room ever balanced your check? Well, they don't have checkbooks anymore. Anybody ever paid a bill online while you're supposed to be listening to the sermon? Come on. Nobody? Some, Katie, thank you. Katie leads worship right here, and she was just honest. She led worship in a different way with her honesty just now. There are moments when you go, uh-oh, they're going to come get my car if I don't do some business right now. They're gonna, but some of you are just trying to make sure you get something on Amazon Prime, and it's not going off sale because Amazon's always got that thing cheap. But we do it. Anybody looked at a brand new game? Pre-order starts next week for what? I don't know. My son is owned and is paid for through his money, Madden 20, for I don't know how long. He's owned it forever. He just got, he got downloaded on his machine back, I don't know, three weeks ago, and he finally got the code. 
this week. I've not seen him. I don't even know if he's in our house. But he seems happy. His mom tells me that they're fine. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we need to say, hey, come on, pay attention. Listen to me. Watch. When I was a little kid and my dad was preaching, I always hated to hear my dad preach on King David. Because every time he would say the name of David, I would shoot up like, oh, he caught me again. Oh, no, he caught me again. There are times when we get so distracted, we need somebody to say, hey, come here, listen. I need you to pay attention. This is for you. You may not think this is for you. So he's so direct because he's trying to get people's attention. The other reason he's being direct is is because nobody thinks of themselves as rich. You don't. Because there's always a richer person. And we can look around. We're, one of the great things we have in our city is the Biltmore Estate. And the Biltmore Estate's always a reminder because that used to be a real house. The reminder here is all you got to do if you think you're somebody special in Asheville is go to the Biltmore Estate. And whether you live in a single wide or you live in a McMansion, you just look around and go, all right, I still haven't arrived. But I also know that in Asheville, people, it's real interesting. When I lived down in Birmingham, people wore a lot of logos and shiny stuff. In Asheville, people hide their logos. It's the most fascinating thing. They buy shirts and, and pants that don't have labels on them. But if you look at them closer, you're like, yeah, that's a really nice thing. But you can't always spot it some ways. Because people around town don't like to be judged by what they look like all the time. Fascinating to me. I had a fellow come over to my house not long ago. I don't think I'm rich. I've never thought I'm rich. If you were looking at our bank account, Beth would tell you we're not rich. But... I had a fellow come over and help me. We were building a shop in the backyard, and I needed some help to put a roof on it. And I don't like ladders, so I thought, I'm going to pay this fellow. And he's a fellow that that I work with over at the rescue mission. He's one of my clients. And I I brought him in, and I paid him a certain amount of dollars uh, for the hours that he worked for me. And when it was all said and done, he did a good job, and I paid him, and we were happy. It was a good exchange, and I took him back uh, to where he was staying for the night. And then the next thing you know, I'm talking to him a few days later, and he said, Hey, what's it like to be rich? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're rich. I said, man, I'm not rich. He said, yeah, you are. I said, well, what you didn't see when you were up on the roof of, if you'd have looked really closely right over my roof and just past the school that's across the street, that's the rich neighborhood over there. Those houses cost another $200,000 more than mine. He said, oh, no, compared to what I have, you're loaded, man. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I am. And not only did Thomas challenge me in that moment, this young man who helped me out, but he really spoke to my heart and I said, you know what, I'm not taking uh, a full appreciation for what I have. So for our purposes today, I'm going to put a definition on the screen to help us define what is rich so we all identify ourselves as rich because it will help us today. Now, the text was clearly written to people who had a lot of money who were taking advantage of people. But if we will define rich this way today, it's not too far a stretch. Chuck Swindoll, when I was reading his commentary, he said, when you talk about rich, you can't just consider money. You have to consider influence and power. So this is our definition. A rich person has an amount of money or power or any other resource that somebody else cannot imagine having themselves. Say it again. A rich person has an amount of money or power or any other resource that somebody else cannot imagine having. We were meeting a group of the ministry leaders at the mission the other day. We have men and ladies programs there. And one of the wonderful things that we get to do is every Friday we bring in a men's candidate or a ladies candidate that's in one of our programs. And they've done their Myers-Briggs personality test. They've done their uh, five love languages test. They've gone through an inventory to figure out what their spiritual giftedness is. And we invest in them for about an hour to an hour and a half and say, hey, we want to share with you the way God created you. You've told on yourself already, you've given us these inventories, but this is what this tells us about the way God made you and what you could be doing in in Christ 
for the kingdom. It's one of the most powerful things we're able to do when we just sit and look at somebody who feels like they're at wit's end, they're kind of done with life, they're just trying to get up off the ground, they're trying to get out of addiction, out of struggle, out of poverty, and we look at them and all of a sudden they see that God has invested in them and it blows them away. Two weeks ago, we were talking to a young lady who has a couple kids and she's made a really great move and she's off drugs and her, she's being re- reunified with her kids. That's a hard word. Reunified with her kids this month. It's incredible. One of the lady leaders looked at her and said, hey, do you realize how pretty you are? Totally appropriate for that conversation. I'm just fly on the wall listening. And the girl looks at her and she says, what? She says, do you realize you're beautiful? Now I know, and I've got a daughter, and we have this conversation all the time. There's outer beauty and there's inner beauty and I would put my wife up against anybody else's wife because she's the beauty God gave me but this lady was just she's a knockout okay hands down knockout cover model I, I promise you and the lady looks at her the ministry leader says you got model stuff going on don't let it cheapen who you really are and all of a sudden, I watched something happen in that woman's eyes. And what Tangie said, this woman who I was talking to, this other lady, Courtney, she basically said, you're rich. So how are you rich? Because as I've confronted this text, and I've been with it for a couple weeks now, wrestling with it, you only have to confront it for about 30 minutes today. But God's been waylaying me in his kindness, showing me the things that he wants me to see and know and even to share. So can we say something together? I've told you before I used to be a children's pastor. I like give and take. I like call and response. We're going to put another phrase on the screen, and I want us to say this together. Say with me. Say, somehow, some way, I'm rich. Let's say it again. Somehow, some way, I'm rich. Okay, you don't have to repeat anymore. Now, your rich may be different than somebody else's rich. You may be rich in talent. You may be rich in looks. You may have great eyebrows and cheekbones. And my daughter says those are big deals. I don't know. Um, there are certain things that we've got to understand. Somehow, some way, I'm rich. And if we walk in here with this somehow, some way, I'm rich, we can encounter four questions that the text will bring up for us that God's word will show us to say, hey, do I have a heart problem? <clears throat> Am I diagnosing? This first thing for you may be um, a reflex hammer. The second one may be that little spinny thing that looks like a spur that says, am I sensitive enough? You may be checking your heart in many different ways today. And this is, I want to tell you, the gospel's good news, y'all. I don't want you to walk away guilty, nor does Jesus. What he wants you to do is walk away and look more like him based on what you've heard him say. So the first question, and we get it from verse 2 and 3 is, am I keeping money all to myself or am I sharing some? Am I keeping money all to myself, or am I sharing some? Verse 2 and 3 says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The idea is, there aren't many days left, and you're laying up treasure. Why are you holding up? Now, understand, there's nothing wrong with preparing for rainy days. Biblically, it's a solid principle. In fact, there are at least... Four categories that we can see in Scripture that money fits into. First, God talks on the regular about what it means to give first fruits. It's a priority percentage gift. It's a tithe. It's from the very first where you say, God, I don't know what's coming next month, but this is what you gave me this month, and out of honor for what you gave me, I'm going to give you this portion back to do whatever you want to do. Dave Ramsey says it's all God's in the first place, so it's not like you're giving him your stuff. You're just returning a portion of what he already gave you. So from there, not only do you give first fruits, first, first fruits, 
but you also establish a grain house or a storehouse. That's something that any good farmer did in the agrarian culture of the scriptures. You often see the picture of the storehouse in scripture where after they gave to the Lord, they put back some for next year to be able to prepare for next year's uh, harvest, for next year's things. There's nothing wrong, friend, with setting aside money for college. There's nothing wrong with setting aside money for retirement. There's nothing wrong with setting aside money to buy a car. There's nothing wrong with that. But is it in the right order? Is it placed where it's supposed to be? I've got friends who own an apple orchard in Waynesville. And one year I went in and bought a couple of bushels of apples. And she said, what are you doing today? I said, I'm paying for your Jeep. And she said, sweetheart, that got paid for last year. With last year's crops. Now, but these same people who live on a cash basis, also we were talking one day and they said, we do have crop insurance. We pay a little bit just in case the rains are bad or the heat's too much. We pay just a little, a little bit if these mountains of North Carolina uh, give us a cold snap too late in the season or too early in their season but too late in the year. They say, look, we only get a certain amount of money per crop that we would have normally gotten, but we prepare in advance. So there's nothing wrong with preparing, storehouse giving, insurance. Those kind of things are important. But there's also, there's just money for living. Do we have to say bills, 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 bills anymore? We just know how to pay bills. And then lastly, there's the way you give. It's having something that you plan on investing from what God's given you into somebody else. Some of you, that may be, somebody once let me stay in their condo at the beach, and all they asked me to do is pay the cleanup. It's like 80 bucks for a week at a condo. God bless them for that. Do I resent that they have a condo and I don't? No, I enjoyed it. For $80, I got a great vacation. I'm not asking for one. Preachers do that sometimes. That's not the spirit of this place. That's not what we're talking about. But if you want to bless your pastoral staff, I would encourage you because I'm not one of them. And they deserve to be treated double honors, what the scripture says. Doesn't have to be a large amount. You can invite somebody over and share your table with them. You could share a cup of coffee with them. You could share a conversation with them. Because whatever it is you're rich in, God made you to give that rich and that wealth into other people, to sow it into other lives. You see, money doesn't make us better than other people. Money helps us better other people. It doesn't make us better than them. It just helps us better them. And if I'm looking at what I've got, if I ask, am I keeping money all to myself or am I sharing some, it helps me determine if I'm hoarding. Now, see, I didn't lead with that hoarding word. It's early in my notes, but I wouldn't dare throw that at you. But it's a real word. So I don't need to hoard the things I have. I need to put money in its right category and let God do what only God can do. And that takes us to point number two. And question number two question is, am I paying people who work for me what they deserve? Am I paying people who work for me what they deserve? Now, this is a question that's not just for people who have employees. This is a question not just for people who own businesses. This is not just for people who are managers of other people. Am I paying people who work for me what they deserve? Folks, we spend money every day, and the people we give money to on some level are working for us. Because they're helping provide those things that we need to live. Verse 4 says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Eugene Peterson says, The Lord of hosts is the God of the angel armies. When you give too little to people who deserve a certain amount of anything, God's ears perk up and he says, Something's wrong there. Scripture talks a lot. There's a a couple parables where Jesus talks about paying a a worker what he's earned. 
he even shows up sometimes early and sometimes late and he always makes sure that regardless of when a person showed up for the job that they get at least paid what they deserve sometimes he even gives more but sometimes we're easily tempted to cheat just to save a little bit more value for ourselves as consumers when we know that what we're doing is probably not exactly right. Um, I've got a, a, a couple, I almost said a friend, a couple that we went to seminary with that from time to time we would go to dinner. We did it twice and quit after that. The first time we went, something came, wrong, came back wrong with the meal. And they said, hey, the steak wasn't fixed just right or the probably hamburger and fries because we were in seminary and we were broke. But they said, hey, something wasn't right. And they said, oh, we're so sorry about this. We'll just comp your meal. I thought, well, that was pretty cool. They got a free meal, and we just did our thing, and that was at the end. We all settled up. <clears throat> Beth and I paid our way before we had kids. They paid their way with their baby, and they went on about their way. A few weeks later, we went on our second dinner date with them and sat down, and guess what? They found something else wrong with their meal. This time, they got a free dessert. I looked at Beth afterwards, and we preached on last week. We, two weeks ago, we preached on gossip, so I'm not gossiping. You don't know them. But I looked at her afterwards, and I said, something just wrong happened. I think they're looking to get something for nothing. And particularly for somebody who's training for the ministry, it's incredibly distasteful to me. So, we would have conversations with them, but we just weren't fast friends with them. Maybe I should have called them out. Maybe I should have had a hard conversation, but it threw me. Now, we got kids in the room, so before we just pick on all the adults, I'm going to pick on the kids a little bit. Any kids play Monopoly ever? It's the game that never ends. Okay, parents, if you ever ask, you know, you just... Just start Monopoly close, close, close to bedtime. Because then you can just use the clock to say the game's over. But has anybody ever, and some of you may be sneaky adults who have done this, because Monopoly is an older and a younger game. Anybody ever played somebody and they, they hid money? They stashed money underneath the board so nobody saw what they had? All right. Let's come talk right here, brother. All right. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so there's that person who stashes it. And all of a sudden, you land and it's time for you to pay rent on boardwalk and you're like I don't have $500 to pay on boardwalk and they see you got $200 they say I'll work a deal with you you're my kid you're my dad you're my friend maybe cheater um, I don't know so you're that person and you say I can't afford it well I'll let you off instead of $500 you can pay $200 because you're about to pass go and collect your $200 and whatever so you exchange your $200 and then you're just not paying attention but after a while there's a property yet left to buy maybe Pennsylvania Avenue it's over here so Pennsylvania Avenue's available, and it's not cheap. It's about 320 380 bucks. I don't know. I'm just making this up. It's not in my notes. Uh, but I feel like I need to preach this right now. It's probably important. Um, so as we go through this moment, all of a sudden, you just gave this person a $300 discount on the rent that they owed you, and they pull out their 500 that they had stashed under the board, and they gave it, and you're like, whoa, I cannot believe you just lied to me that I didn't lie. I, I didn't have $500 to give you. I had $500 for something else. You ever had that conversation with an adult? Somebody asks for a favor and then you find out they're holding out on something else that they had set aside for something else they wanted more than to pay you? It's sneaky. It's so sneaky. Um, I'm cheap. I'm cheap. Let me say this before. There's a screen up. It's going to say money is neutral. Money is neutral. On its own, it's not on the side of right or wrong. However, the way we use money can tell us if we're leaning toward the right or the wrong. Uh, the gospel at work in me is something we try to do as pastors here. Say, like, where is this text hitting me? What's it done with me? I am cheap, tight, until it's something I want to buy. And I'm cheap to be able to do other things. So when it's time to fix my truck, I'm going to watch YouTube. And if somebody can show me in under 10 minutes how to fix my truck, I'm going to buy the part for $100 and save the 300 in labor. 
I did it just a month ago. We're renovating a house again. It's our third or fourth one to renovate because I don't pay somebody to renovate the house unless it's a skilled job I can't handle. I'm going to jump in because every dime that I can put in sweat equity into that house makes me proud. I love the work, but I love the savings more. It's just part of who I am. That's not right or wrong. That's just the way God made me. I don't buy any clothes full price. Now, I don't hold this, I don't hold my children or my wife to this, but when I go into the store for me, I walk straight to the clearance rack. And I'm like, hey, this is a good enough shirt. This is a good enough pair of jeans. I really don't care about that. And if I'm going to buy something, odds are anything you see on me, I paid probably less than half price for. Just because I love it, because I'm thinking, well, I might need that money for something else. And there's nothing wrong with it. Anybody can relate to this, maybe coupon kings or queens in the room. All right. All right, maybe this is not you. All right, two honest men in the room. Nobody else is talking to me, but you're my people, so I'm going to talk with you. Did you know that when I go to buy something online, there's always the place just before you hit checkout that you can type in your coupon code to save a certain, or your promotion code or whatever. I learned years ago that I like, I like to have like multiple pairs of glasses, and I do, and it's a splurge for me. I like to change them up based on the mode I'm in, the clothes I'm wearing, whatever I happen to do. But I'm not going to pay 550 bucks for a pair of progressives. I'm going to go online and buy two or three pair for a fraction. And that way, if I don't like a pair or two, I just throw them away because I bought them for a third of the price of my progressives because I bought them online. Some of you guys are like, that's crazy. Still save money. I learned, though, <clears throat> back when online um, eyeglasses buying was still brand new and people just weren't willing to do it, I learned that certain companies, if you're a new customer, they'll give you 20% off your already cheap price. I was like, that's awesome. So I took advantage of that. I became a new customer at three different places. And then one day I became a new customer at a place I'd already been a new customer because I had multiple email addresses. I was like, well, they, well, they look at this email from work and they see this email from my personal email. They don't know that that guy's not this guy. And you know what I did? I cheated somebody out of something they deserved because they worked for me. You see, they were my eyeglasses provider. And somebody somewhere had set up a deal to bless new customers, and I lied about who I was. And I double-dipped on a 20% discount. It's sneaky how it slides into your heart. And God convicted me of it. So I, that's the only twice I was a new customer, but at least three other times I thought about being a new customer. And God challenged me. And you may go, David, I can't believe you would be so petty and so cheap. Yep. $30 worth cheap can tell a whole lot about the worth of my heart. Every time. Asking, am I paying people who work for me what they deserve will help us deter determine if we're cheating. Not cheaters necessarily. It may not be a mark of your heart, but you may very well be cheating on a regular basis. Third question. Am I actively using money as a tool to help me show love? Am I actively using money as a tool to help me show love? Verse 5 says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So this is a hard time. Fat is not a word we use in our culture much these days. But I'll tell you this, if the scriptures use it, I'm just going to use it once. And I'm going to say, a heart gets fat when it's not exercised. Everything gets fat when it's not exercised. What we need to be are lean people with well-exercised hearts. Hearts that know how to love and give. What we need are healthy hearts, not healthy appetites. And when it comes to money, if we spend the wrong way, accumulating more and more things that we may not need, I'm losing an opportunity to show love to somebody else. Because, frankly, how many pair, I mean, let's pick on myself, how many pair of glasses do I really need? One. 
And if God would move in my heart to say, and he hasn't yet, but if he were to say, David, three pairs enough, one pair is enough, four pairs, seven pairs enough. Then after that, and I look at my money to buy glasses and I say, you know what, what if, what if I use that money to buy glasses for somebody else? And that may feel like a juke, like a Jesus juke in the sermon. I'm not trying to challenge anybody there. What I'm trying to say is if we're not careful, we miss the opportunities that are in front of us because we spent money for things that we really didn't need. When we're in a healthy place with money, we can put money in healthy places. The healthiest place for some of my money may not be in my pocket. It may be in yours. So we look at the money that we bring and we say, God, this is money you've given me that could go to a lot of places. And then I don't have to ask. If I've already delegated that money to certain places, I don't have to ask if I could do it. I just say, Lord, should I? I know I've got this $100. I know I've got this $5 in my pocket. Was it for me or was it for somebody else? He may say, hey, spend it on yourself. Spend it on your kid. Spend it on your neighbor. Spend it on your uncle. Spend it on somebody that needs it. When we say, God, this could be for any purpose, when he says it should be, then you can just say, oh, cool. Now I know where to put that money. I don't know where it's supposed to go. But when it comes to give, I have an opportunity to show the love of God. So asking that question, am I actively using money as a tool to help me show love, helps us know if we're selfish. Hoarding. That's tough. Cheating, that's tough. Selfish. See, I'm glad I didn't preach that sermon because that would be condemnation all over us. Last question. And it's a question to help me see if I'm taking unfair advantage of other people. Does my focus on money keep me from valuing others? Business owners, managers, this is a big deal. Verse 6 says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Murdering is truly murder, but it's also taking someone's life away. It's taking and making the work that people do for you so hard that they don't enjoy the life that God gave them. There's an illustration. I grew up um, in a community that used to be a mining community. The mines were since dried up. They had strip mined the area outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Strip mined area is not pretty at all. Thankfully, a lot of that land's being reclaimed and it's beautiful and lush. But when I grew up, you would drive down the road and you would see these hills and valleys, hills and valleys. It's not a Torn Wells song, but you're talking 40 feet high and 40 foot deep where you look and you see they've just ripped every bit of coal that they can and they left the refuse and they lift it and they ripped the land just um, bare. But on the way from home to school, there was this building down kind of in one of the, not one of the coal mining valleys, but just off the hill. And I said, what is that to my dad one day? He said, oh, that's where the company store used to be. And a company store was owned by the company. So if you worked for whatever mine that happened to be or whatever steel company that owned that mine, you see, if you worked for them, you didn't get paid regular wages. You got paid company wages that were minted and printed by the company with their logo and their name, and they could only be spent in the company store. So the company made money on you coming and going. Not only did, that, did they do that, because these mining communities were farther away and they usually uh, used a lot of super poor people to work for them, they would charge more than they had to for certain things. So not only did they get them coming and going, they got them coming and going and going. And then if by chance you had a need that you couldn't afford, you could actually get to a situation where you owed your business money because you couldn't afford to pay your bills with what they paid you because they would pay sometimes less than what the market wage was. That's what this text is talking about. There's a song, Tennessee Ernie Ford sang it, and I could sing it, but you wouldn't enjoy it. Katie, your voice is not low enough to sing this, but it's called 16 Tons. And the chorus says, you load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. 
St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You see, these are people in the day I'm telling you about, they not only died of natural causes, they died of black lung. So they lived for the company. They died at the hands of the company. It's just a mess. And if we have employees, if we manage people, if we have people who regularly look to us, we have to make sure that we're not using our money as a club to make them do what we want them to do, but we use money as a tool to help not only ourselves get to the goals that God made for us, but help us help other people get to the goals that God made for them. How do you do it? You look at other people and you build your character. I'm going to read this longer passage, but it won't take very long to do it. Second Peter chapter 1 says, In view of all that God has done for you, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. Add to. It's a value word. So what should you be looking to add to? Add to your faith a generous provision of moral excellence. Supplement your moral excellence with knowledge. Supplement your knowledge with self-control. Supplement your self-control with patient endurance. Supplement your patient endurance with godliness. And supplement your godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everybody. So when it's all said and done, what we're being told by the scriptures is this life that we live is not just for us. It's not for accuracy for accumulation, for building fat wallets or pocketbooks, for stuffing our shirts full like Scrooge McDuck. It is not what we're supposed to be doing. What we're supposed to be doing is saying, God, what have you given me? Because somehow, someway, I'm rich. Let's say it again. Some of us are glazed. Somehow, someway, I'm rich. Don't repeat anymore. What is God doing in our hearts today? I went, to, um, I went to the dentist a whole bunch a couple of years ago because I had a whole lot of work to do. And if you think my heart goes crazy when I go to the doctor, the dentist is ten times worse. I went to the dentist once and they said, we can't even work on you today because your blood pressure is so bad that if we were to do that and you were to bleed, you might just bleed out here on the table. That's gross. I know it's not something we want to share in the pulpit, but it was a bad day. And I was, so, I was hurting so bad, but I was so relieved that I got to go home and hurt at home. Because I didn't want to be at the dentist office. But this year that I had to go to the dentist and get all this crazy work done and basically paid his son to get out of college, uh, he was very kind to me and uh, did a lot of good things for me as a friend. But he hurt like the devil. It was not fun. But somewhere after about my 40th hour in his chair over a year, I just started to walk in and plop down and start talking to everybody. How you doing? How's it going? It's fine. Okay, what are we going to do today? All right, we're going to do this. And I realized after a while it wasn't bothering me at all. I wasn't nervously trying to figure out where he got his degree or where she got their degree or looking at their kids' pictures and see their vacation. I was just like, let's do business. And then, once all the work got done, he said, all right, let's go ahead and do a final cleaning, and we're not going to see you for six months. Praise the Lord. So happy. You think that might be sacrilegious. I was sincere. I was so grateful. And he said, hey, before we finish up, do me a favor. Tilt your chin up. Lean your head back. I was like, what? He starts doing this business on my neck. I'm like, what, what is that? What is that? You know, like you're at the dentist. And he said, uh, and, and I just couldn't figure it out. Anybody had this done? Maybe anybody over 40? He says, I'm checking for cancer. I was, that's cool. I didn't know I was getting a cancer check. I thought I was getting a tooth cleaning. He diagnosed something that I wasn't expecting. And y'all, you may have come to church just going to sing happy songs and hear a happy sermon. And God surprised you by giving you a cancer check in your heart. I hope at the end of this you go, God, that's cool. Because I want to leave you with one text. And it's not on the note. Oh, it is on the note. Second Chronicles 16, 
9. And this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If there's ever a gospel message, this is a gospel message. This is good news in a sentence. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If we're not careful, we say, the eyes of the Lord look through in the, throughout the world to find the hearts who are truly committed to Him. And you're like, I'm not truly committed today. I'm 90% committed, but I'm having a struggle in this area. Pastor just showed me four questions, and two of them I totally stink at. So my heart's not totally given. But listen to this. It doesn't say your behavior is totally perfect. It says your heart is totally given. So that when you see a discrepancy between your heart and the Lord's, you're going, you know what? The Lord's heart looks better than mine. I want his heart in my life. I want to walk with him more than I want to walk with the old me. And this is the beauty of this passage. Not only is he looking for that person whose heart is fully committed, he's looking out for you because he wants to strengthen you. Because he knows you're not fully developed yet. Our God is a God who strengthens those who follow him. Our God is a God who wants wholehearted faith, but he knows that our hearts for too long have been given to this or given to that, and sometimes it's given to, well, I'm not going to fill in the blanks. We've been doing this for the whole series, but sometimes money's the challenge. So what is that thing that God has made you rich in? Don't hoard it. Don't be selfish. Don't hold it over other people. Just look at it and say, you know what? I'm rich. I'm loaded when it comes to this. You may have the highest cheekbones in the room. Use beauty for God. You may have a big yard. Use it to the glory of God. You may own a business. Use it to the glory of God. You may be a school teacher. You may be a, a, a trail guide. Use it to the glory of God because God has made you to glorify Him. Repeat after me. Some way, somehow, I'm rich. Don't repeat this. Yeah, repeat this. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, don't waste it. Make the most of what's given you. Enjoy his design. And friend, I want to tell you good news. The eyes of the Lord search diligently throughout all the world to find hearts that are fully devoted to him so that he can strengthen you. Our God gives us strength. Amen? Let's pray together and then we're going to celebrate. Of all the days to celebrate communion, this is a great one to do it. Lord Jesus, you're so kind to us and so gracious. We love you with hearts that are whole. But sometimes we love you with hearts that have holes in them. So today, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, if you have shown somebody in this room something that's not where it ought to be, I pray that the balm of your Holy Spirit of comfort would come in and remind them that you not only want them to be whole, but you are the one that can help them be whole. Lord Jesus, change us. Make us look like you. Help us grow in godliness. Help us be people whose hearts are fully given to you so that we value those things that you value most, which is people and the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.